Welcome, everyone, to Horror Cafe. Bonus episode. Yay! (laughs) I'm Erica. And I'm Jackie. What are you drinking today? I am having a cafe con leche. Ooh, that's a good classic. Yes. I'm having my favorite Dunkin' Donuts and Americano. Aren't you just fancy? We are finishing our March into Madness with a classic, Psycho. It's a good classic. It is. But not only is it a great classic, this was a perfect segue because it covers this month's March into Madness and it leads us into next month's, which is Slasher, Slasher movie. movie. So this is perfect. It is. It's a good in-between. Madness and Slasher. Well, yeah. You got to be nuts to be a slasher. Just a little. <laughs> I've been dying to say that all day. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> all, all right. right. Psycho sh- from 1960. The movie's about a Phoenix secretary who embezzles $40,000, which is a lot of money back then, back. Yeah. from her employer's client, goes on the run and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. Mother between quotes. Believe it or not, I had not seen this movie up until about mm, three years ago. I'm just staring at you in disbelief. I cannot believe this. Me either. It took a long time because I was a little hesitant with the black and white. I have. Oh, yes. You and your black and white shit. Okay. I mean, I know that's not a good excuse, but some black and white movies are a little difficult to watch. For example, like Raging Bull. I know that's not a horror movie, but. Like, it was hard for me to get through that movie because it was black and white, but this one was awesome (laughs) in every sense of the word. (laughs) And I had finished watching a show, well, we both watched it, Bates Motel, which if you haven't seen, I think it's a good underrated show that Mm -hmm. went under the radar, and it's basically a prequel to this movie. Yeah. And I wanted to watch the movie after to see all the pieces Fit together. Fit together. And it was a really good show that gave you a backstory to Norman Bates and his mother, Norma. And it pieced, like I said, it pieced it really good. And I was really happy with the movie. And I know you're happy with this movie. You are beyond excited. (laughs) You've been excited all day just to film this episode. Film it? Record it. (laughs) Now we're filmmakers. Now we're filmmakers. Maybe one day. Never Um, know. Hey, you never know. A little YouTubing too. Ooh. Hmm. Anyway, I'm a little bit shocked here. I am surprised that you watched this movie three years ago. I could have sworn you had seen it prior to this. So I'm kind of shocked. Surprise. Anyway, this and and there goes the neighbor with his idling car. It never fails. It's eight o'clock at night. Why is he idling? This already happened once. (laughs) We digress. We digress. This movie is revolutionary for its time. And the most important thing for me is Hitchcock himself. The man is a genius. His vision. The way he could see a scene and then make you see it as he intended. And he does this without you even realizing how he has manipulated you into a scene. You know, it's interesting. Today, I was browsing the web at work, and (laughs) the the Oscar nominations came out yesterday, I believe. And so now there's all these articles about past Oscars. He has actually never won. That that's a disgrace. Yeah, they gave him the honorary. 
No. That to me is, oh, we forgot. (laughs) Here's a little rag for you. Right. No, that's not cool. To me, Hitchcock is the master of his craft. And you see it in the way he uses light, contrasting camera angles. And and he pulled out all the stops in Psycho and did not disappoint. Look, you loved it. I did. It was exciting. Yes. And, And to me, Psycho is a masterpiece. Psycho was the Pandora's box that brought the slasher movie to life and into mainstream America. All right, now that you're all fired up for this, <laughs> as you, know you can it. see, you know it. Or here, let's start with movie facts. I will start with Rotten Tomato score. Here we go. The critics gave it 96 and the audience 95. We finally Hallelujah, have a horror, man. We finally have a horror movie with a high, high score. This is very high. This is high and to me, it should have been more. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be greedy. Okay, it's I get it. It's a little it, greedy. It. This is excellent. But it is. It is excellent. Take um, it away, Mom. Okay, so usually Erica gets to do the fun facts, but I am so passionate about Hitchcock and his movies. If you visit our website at horrorcafepodcast.com, you'll see in my bio that I credit the movie The Birds as one of my intros to horror. And that, of course, happens to be a Hitchcock movie. Which I haven't seen either. <sighs> this, I, but now we can watch it for the podcast. This is not acceptable. <laughs> anyway. We can improve on this. Okay. There are so many good tidbits of movie madness surrounding Psycho itself. No pun intended? No pun intended. Or maybe it was. Maybe. Right us. there, Hitchcock would have given me a camera angle from below. <laughs> Oh, man, you guys, she is going nuts with this. (laughs) Tell us, tell us. Okay, it was Hollywood's first scene with an actual toilet in it. What? Yes. Okay. You know the scene where Marion tears up that piece of paper and she throws it in the toilet? That was pretty scandalous. Really? Hollywood's first scene with a toilet, you know, flushing and all that stuff. Okay. But think about it. Think about that era. Not now. Then this whole movie is risque and breaks all barriers. Yes. It was his most successful movie of all times. Now, think about this. For 1960, it raked in $32 million at the box office. Wow. There was no Netflix. That's a lot of money. Right. No streaming. No. That was a lot of money for those days. That's movie theater money right there. Yeah. Now, here's another thing that's really interesting. This is how much Hitchcock believed in his vision. Mm -hmm. Paramount, who had bankrolled many of Hitchcock's films in the 50s, bowed out on Psycho. Well, that's a big mistake. A very big mistake. (laughs) And it was because of the censors. Mm. But Hitchcock believed in his movie so much that he financed it himself to the tune of $800,000. Again, we're talking 1960. That's an expensive movie. But that, hey, look at all that profit. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of out of pocket. Yeah. But look at what he got for it. Besides the fact that he's a master. So, <laughs> I don't like him at all. You can't, at all? No, not at all. see that. <laughs> okay, so I had mentioned the censors before. This movie really hit a lot of the hot buttons with the censors who they were the ones who executed the motion picture 
me see if I get this right, Motion Picture Production Code, which was also known as the Hayes Code. Say that five times. Yeah, no. Uh, once was enough. Yeah. <laughs> Even typing this was hard. Anyway, lots of taboos were touched in this movie with the censors, and they they were really giving Hitchcock a hard time. But this guy was a genius. I've said that many times, but he was. Um, there was perceived nudity, even though Janet Lee, who portrayed Marion Crane and her body double wore moleskin patches to cover up any sensitive parts. Hmm. Um, one of the risque scenes uh, is the opening scene with Marion's lover, and they're in the hotel room in a rendezvous, and she's in a bra and yeah. slip. I said that right away. Yes, that I was, said it. I was very, like, very scandalous for 1960, and they filmed this probably in 1959. Yeah, like, it that's very. Yeah. It is risky. Yeah, and then in a little further up in the scene, later on, we see her again in a bra and slip. Now in black. black. The first one was in white. Right. Opposites. Think about that in this movie. Opposites. Yes, I'm getting into that. <laughs> all that stuff. I see. Um, the, the censors wanted all of that changed, but Alfred Hitchcock tricked them. He sent back a copy of the shower scene that was unchanged from what they had seen, which confused the censors to the, to the point that they weren't sure whether they had seen something or not. And then he also invited them onto the set where he would reshoot the offending opening scene, but none of the censors showed up for it. What do you mean it was unchanged? Yeah, he sent them back the same film, telling them it had been, here's the new copy, and he didn't change it. Ah, but okay. he was working with their, their, brain. With their brains. Because in their wow. head, they're thinking they saw more. So That's they're going to go mad, too. They're going mad, too. <laughs> it was wow. really fucking with their mind, if you think about it. I see that. Now, I know you love behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. Okay. The shower set for the, you know, that famous scene mm -hmm. was constructed so that any of the walls could be moved and removed. Well, that's neat. Yeah. For the camera? Yes. It allowed the camera to get in close and from every angle. Makes sense. Yeah. Hitchcock employed um, a fast-motion reverse shot to make it look like the blade actually was piercing Marion's abdomen. Movie magic. See, yeah. that's movie magic is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And here's another part and this we're going to cover this more in the in the sound section or um, movie sound later, but he had planned to film the the shower scene sans any sound. No sound. But he finally agreed to use the shrieking strings of the violin used by the composer Bernard Herrmann's score to ratchet up the tension. Oh, the, the classic. Yes. Ee, 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 yes. Ee, ee. Okay. Yeah. And then the sound of Marion's flesh, because you can hear that. You know, I honestly don't remember that. Do I was so distracted by the scene itself yes. and the, the music that I don't remember hearing anything. Yeah. With, when with when you see the knife going up and down, oh, you, you can listen, yeah. you'll hear it. You'll Somewhat. hear it. Um, and what they did is the knife was actually stabbing a cassava melon. Hitchcock and his crew actually auditioned multiple varieties of melon <laughs> until... He Come on down, melons, <laughs> cantaloupe, <laughs> watermelon. You get to be the star in this slasher movie. They did Honeydew. This <laughs> until they found the right 
sound, the one that Hitchcock felt was the closest. We'd have to look up what a cassava melon is. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Two more things, and then we move on. One. Take your time. Yes. <laughs> the reason that maybe Jaws has a familiar score is because John Williams, who did the score for the movie Jaws, right, was inspired by the music from Psycho. Really? Uh-huh. You know what I'm thinking, right? What did we just watch recently? Friday the 13th. Uh-huh. So everybody's influenced by everybody. Yeah. Hmm. That that episode is coming later, guys. Yeah. <laughs> guess what month? <laughs> April. April. Anyway, here's another one. I think you'll like this one. 18 years later, Janet Lee's daughter starred in her own slasher movie. And that is the now classic Halloween. Lee's daughter is none other than Scream Queen herself. That's right. Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis. I love it. I love it. And when you watch Psycho and you know this, you can see her. Yes. You can see the... The resemblance. Right. Listen, I could spend the entire show just talking about all these movie facts, how the movie was filmed, all the different angles, the cinematography, but I think it's time for me to shut up. <laughs> And for us to move on to the movie. I think it's time. Yes. But thank you. These were great facts. I know. I know. Oh, one more. Wait. In yes. the shower scene, the blood. I know everybody probably knows this. But as a reminder, it's chocolate syrup and it's Bosco. Boom. Anyway, well, moving I on. Didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Good to know. chocolate syrup. Is it so that it would show up better on, yes. on black and white? Mm-hmm. It Makes didn't sense. have the viscosity of whatever, I can't remember what it was he was using for it, mm-hmm. that at, that blood would have. And, there and it you, pops. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I did not know. So, <laughs> okay. there you go. <laughs> I, I promise to zip it now. Until right. we get to the parlor scene. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, then let's get started with movie observations. All righty. The movie opens. It's the opening credits, and you're greeted with this loud thriller psycho music Mm -hmm. it's exciting you're like oh well this got my attention now what's gonna happen it opens in phoenix arizona on a friday december 11th at 2 43 p.m you pointed this out Mm -hmm. that the scene goes in through an open window voyeurism yes you are the watcher watcher and it's Marion with her lover, Sam. She's in a bra and her little slip and they're, you know, all kissy. And this is very risque for 1960. It was very. Even their conversation for that time, for a movie, I think kind of was would be considered borderline. They're talking about getting together finally because it sounds like he's separated but maybe not legally separated like he's not legally divorced because he mentions ex-wife and that he has to pay right actually they probably are because he has to pay alimony yeah if he's paying alimony then he's divorced but then what's keeping him from well they're talking about (laughs) trying to get together right officially and then she says she has to go back to work because she's apparently on a lunch break (laughs) she goes back to work and she works what it looks like at some realtor Mm -hmm place and there's a client there kind of flirting but being 
gross. He was a lecherous. For a 1960s guy. I'm he, like, ooh. He was a lecherous old man. Yeah, he was saying not nice things to her. And he has 40 grand in cash mm-hmm. to buy a, a property or whatever the hell. It, I was so distracted by how stupid he was <laughs> that I don't remember exactly what, what he was, was waving for. around yeah. mm-hmm. his 40 grand. And she promises to take it to the bank. To put it in the safety deposit box to be taken care of over the weekend. For Monday. Her boss did not want to keep that amount of cash in the in office. In the office. He didn't want to risk it. And this lecherous old man, whose name is Tom, seems to think that money can buy anything. And he was just, oh my God, he was so annoying. In a way, he almost deserved it. He did. Not that, I, not that I'm upholding stealing, but, you know, it's just like, you know, you, you get what you put out there. Marion goes home. She tells her boss, oh, I have a headache, and she's going to go leave the money off at the bank and then go home for the Mm -hmm. weekend and, you know, stay in bed all weekend is what she says. That's exactly what she said. Yeah. But she has different plans. Next scene is her at home, and now she's in a different bra and slip. Now she's in a black, Mm -hmm. maybe. I mean, we don't really know. Yeah. And you see her packing a suitcase and the money. Yeah, somewhere between the office and home, she decided that she's going to steal this. But she did this for Sam because when in that conversation in the hotel room, he was talking about money problems. Right. And the alimony that he has to pay and where would we live in the back of this little store that he lives in and all this other stuff. I think in her head, she was thinking, if I take this, this will solve all of our problems. Agree. She packs up the bag, the money. She's driving to California to be with Sam. She's at a red light, all happy, like, yes, I'm making this plan. And who crosses in front of her? Her boss. And he looks at her like, hmm. But he smiles at first. And she smiles back. But, but then, then he realizes, exactly. like, oh, shit. Wait you, a minute. You had a headache. You had a headache. You lied, you bitch. <laughs> and then he just walks away. I mean, what is he really going to do? It's like if you said that at work and your boss sees you, like, what are they going to do? Arrest you? Exactly. <laughs> oh, you left work a few hours early. But she was seen. She was seen. And then you see her driving and she drives through the night. She decides to pull over to the side of the road to sleep because... Danger? Yeah. Well, Danger. driving sleepy. Now, I have to say something about the filming of her driving. That, that part where it, it goes from day to night... It is really cool because of the angle of the camera and the lighting that this man uses. It, it's just, yes, I'm going to be doing this all through this. I love it. All right. All right. No problem, Mom. <laughs> humor the crazy lady? Yes. <laughs> she wakes up the next morning and a cop drives up and parks in front of her, gets out, you know, hey, you're right in there. <laughs> but she automatically starts acting suspicious she acts guilty is what she does i mean from the minute she sees the cop i mean i don't blame her because she oh my boss saw me they already figured it out Mm -hmm. the the cop is probably here right for me (laughs) guilty conscience is what that is the cop questions her but he he lets her go as she's driving off he is following her for a little while so of course she gets more nervous Mm -hmm. and eventually he does get off on an exit and you feel Relief. Relief. You feel it with her. Yes, you do. You feel like you're in the moment with her. You see? You see? Yes, I see. (laughs) I see. 
and she drives into a um, used car lot. Which... And acts even more suspicious. I know. It's like, I just, I want to buy a car, basically. It's, um, I'll give you mine. How much do I need to give you? And she's like rushing the salesman. And he even says it. He's like, I've never been rushed, rushed. like this before. It's usually the opposite. He right. was saying that the salesman is the one always trying to like push people. Right. And it's actually her pushing him. But what happens also? Mr. Policeman shows up. He sees her. He makes a U-turn in the middle of the street. Stands across the street, gets out of his car, leans against it, and is watching her. It's kind of creepy to see when you see her angle that she's looking across the street at him, that mm-hmm. he's just standing there and all you see are the sunglasses. The sunglasses. Yeah, because he's wearing these big old like yeah. aviator, the aviator style. style. Yeah. And and she still stays there. She had she still balls goes on with her, it. man. I mean, what's the point at that point? Right. He sees you, he saw your new plate yeah. eventually, because not only does he stand over there, eventually he drives on over and mm-hmm. gets out and stands behind her new car. Right. <laughs> which she paid $700, $700 for. Well, it wasn't a brand new car. No, but... and she traded in her car. Right. Without driving this new one that she traded it, the trade in or whatever it's called. Well, the salesman offered her and she's like, no, 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 no. I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. And that she almost it. left without her luggage. Without, yeah. She, the mechanic brought it out. Could she have been any more obvious? Not at all. Not at all. I and I love have... how she bought the newspaper to hide it in her purse mm-hmm. to kind of, oh, I'm reaching in for $700 for uh, a newspaper, but it's really covering up your 40 grand that you stole. So Marion then continues driving through the night, finally arrives at Bates Motel. The Bates Motel. The Bates Motel. And um, she walks in. Norman shows up. Norman. Norman Bates. (laughs) Norman Bates. I feel so bad. (laughs) I know he's nuts. You look at him and he seems like such a nice, shy introvert. He does. And it's hard to believe that what's behind that is... Psycho? A, a psycho. She signs in, and she signs in as Marie Samuels. And you see who the last guest, well, when the last guest was there. Guest or victim? Victim? I'm assuming they're dead. Probably. April 18th was that date. Now, mind you, it is now December 11th. That's a long-ass time. That there was no one there. She mentions that she's a little hungry. Where is there a place to eat? And he says, oh, it's about 10 miles up the road, but it was raining. And she decides, well, I'm not going to do that. And he says, well, I'll, I'm inviting you to dinner. Since it's such a long drive to the nearest diner, come and have dinner with me. And the next thing you see is in the house, because the house where Norman and his mother live is right behind the motel. Right. So you hear him talking. He's sitting in the kitchen, but you see him like if you're looking at him through a door. So you can't see the other side of the kitchen, just him sitting at the at the dining table. And he's having a conversation with his mother. He keeps saying, my mother isn't quite herself today to Marion later on. But you have you hear this weird conversation between them. We forgot to mention when she got to Bates Motel, she looked up at the house and she saw the silhouette of the quote-unquote mother walking across the window you oh, can see right. like her little bun mm-hmm. 
and what looks like a robe, maybe, or right. whatever. The silhouette of a of an older person right. in a robe. But yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. How did Marion hear Norma and Norman talking? Was he that loud? How? I, I did find that scene odd because she, Marion, overhears that conversation. Right. They're in the house. And how did she hear that? I don't know. I mean, how loud was it? Were it? I'm going to assume they had a window open. Right. And they talked out and it carried. I but, mean, they talked loud then. Yeah, but damn, that's a long carry because that house is up on up. a hill. Not a, right. like a mountain, but a little bit of a hill. Right. And set back from from the hotel. Motel, sorry. Mm-hmm. Interesting, right? Yes, you did. That is a good point. <laughs> hmm. It was in my notes. I'm like, how? Is he that loud? Now they're going to have dinner in the parlor, the parlor scene. Come into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. That is exactly what he's doing. What? What do you mean, what? What is that? You've never heard that? No. It's an old phrase. Oh, okay. Like inviting your prey into... Mm. Interesting, which he did, didn't he? Which he did. Now, the parlor scene and the shower scenes are two of the most important scenes in this entire movie. I think... Well, I'm not going to say that yet, but they're both impressive scenes. But with the parlor scene, you see Norman not being Norman, the nice Norman in it as he's talking. This is what I love about Hitchcock. You do not see a wide view of this scene. You see Marion sitting to the left and Norman to the right. They are never together in, in the one same shot. shot. Exactly. Right. And Hitchcock did this because he wanted to show you the light and the dark. When you look at Marion, it's very light in that area. There's only one little lamp in that parlor, and it's a little Tiffany lamp. And next to it, there's a phone. Okay. There's like a very soft light on her. It's almost like a one-to-one on the same level you're looking at her. Mm-hmm. When Norman is speaking, his side of the room is darker. If you notice, he's got also all those stuffed birds Yes, in, in the room because he's into... Um, taxidermy. Taxidermy. And Annie talks about that. And then there's also the shading on his face. One side is dark and one side is lighter. And what that's telling you is his dual personality. Interesting. Yes. Then you have all these sharp angles. And Hitchcock... Did not shoot this straight on like he did with um, Marion's character. He did it from an angle below, which gives a lot more angles to his face. And it, and as he progressively speaks, when she starts talking to him about his mother, mother. which that's when you see the switch. Yeah, that I did notice right away when he when she started talking about his mother and how why doesn't he. Leave. leave her yes yes <laughs> and he says a boy's best friend is his mother mm-hmm. that was it yeah the mom has come home <laughs> yeah and and when she yeah when she says he put her about putting her in, in some madhouse put, oh yes he changes he shows his obsession with his mother and then he says that we all go a little mad sometimes is it I think it's it could be a combo. It could be his obsession or it's her. What do because you mean? remember, I mean we're getting ahead of ourselves, but mm-hmm. at the end of the movie the psychiatrist said that he is rarely Norman That's anymore. True. Yeah. It's usually the mother who has taken over his mind. Mm-hmm. So I think it's her 
reacting because she's reacting like, who the hell do you think you are telling me that I need to go get away from my son or go to a madhouse? Oh my God. I had not I think thought of her. it that way. That's, that's yeah. actually, that's pretty damn good. It could be either. You can interpret it and it could be on purpose too. It could be interpreted as it's Norman's obsession with his mom and getting offended mm-hmm. or it's Norma that she's taken over him at that moment or in general. I think it's safe to say that they both had obsessions over each other. That's 100% safe to say, especially if you watch the show. Yeah, but I, I'm not going with the show. I'm no, going, yeah. just putting it out there. You should but watch it. But it is true. It is a good, it's a great show. And needless to say, Anthony Perkins did a dynamic job. He did. He, he did. Because he also had me feeling sorry for him. Yes. Because yes. you, you do feel sorry for Norman, mm-hmm. but not for Norma. Right. She's yeah, a bitch. Yeah, Norma is not a good mama <laughs> at all. <laughs> but that that scene to me, that whole parlor scene where you see him change little by... And then he gets really angry. That's why I'm saying I'm wondering, I think it's the mom. Yeah. Sometime during this conversation, Marion has decided that she's going to go back to Phoenix to make amends. She, something clicked in that conversation for her where she's like, what am I doing here? I'm going back. And she says it too. She says it to him. Yeah. Or out, yeah. Out loud. She mm-hmm. says it out loud. She decides to go back to her room. And then she says her name is Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. And then you see Norman go, hmm, Really? And of course, he went to check the the guest book, and it says Marie Samuels. So now he knows she's fair game. The guy has like not a jungle. I know, right? Well, well, yeah, he has a jungle in the parlor. <laughs> Pretty much, he does. He's oh, a predator. There was something that he said in the in the in that conversation is that he likes to stuff things. He does. I'm surprised that he doesn't stuff people besides his mom or I know. whatever. Well, he didn't even really stuff her. Did he? <laughs> Did he? I think he did. I just think, you know. She got a little rotted. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're ahead of ourselves there. So she goes back to her, her room, her cabin, which is cabin number one. And it's important to say that it is right next to, to, the, office to the office. And the parlor. And the parlor. Because? That is where he has a little tiny hole. That looks into the room. Mm-hmm. The voyeurism that Alfred Hitchcock alludes at the to beginning. at the very beginning of the movie is now there. Now, here's what I found interesting. Do you remember when he was in the parlor scene and I told you, look at those freaky ass pictures behind him? Yeah. They were really they were creepy. Odd, yeah. they, it was like demons on, uh, on... On naked women. On naked women. Well, behind one of them was where this little peephole was. He's the... The predator in the painting. Mm-hmm. He is. And he put his little, yeah, perfect. Ooh, that's a great analogy. I like that. I like that. So he's looking at her and it's it's just so disturbing. And that close well, up. Well, it's that feeling of being watched. Yes. It, I was, I really love the close up that he did of his eyeball while he's looking through there. Because I, you can almost see the eye itself dilating. And that is showing his emotions. His excitement? Yes. Yes. I mean, let's let's be honest. This is probably sexually based as well. Probably. It's just, it's so disturbing. Ugh. Next up, the infamous shower scene that has forever changed a shower curtain. <laughs> I know. In oh real my- life. 
Yes. I don't know about you, but shower curtains are a little freaky. And I have one now in my house. And sometimes it's a little creepy. Well, yes. And you know how you combat... In a hotel, for sure, it's much scarier. Oh, it's worse in a hotel. Versus here. You know how you combat that freaky creepiness? What? Is in the movie, it's that plasticky kind that you can kind of see through. Right. You need to put the other other kind in front of it so you don't have that. Well, I do have, like, it's a design shower curtain, but it's still, like, semi-see-through. So Uh, you never know if you're going to turn around and be like, oh, shit. Well, I think that this movie changed showering for many people. Yes, just like Jaws has changed swimming. For many people. For many people. Yeah, I think so. I wonder if there were more shower door installation after this movie. movie. Could be. Could be, but we see the shower curtain is still popular, so it's still around. It sure is. So it's an exciting scene. Exciting in the sense that it's just so much going on. The music itself just gets you like, oh my God, what, what? And it's a short scene. (laughs) It's pretty fast. It is very fast. And you see it's Norma that has shown up to kill poor Marion Crane in the shower. And she's so good at dying. (laughs) She is very good. She's a great scream queen. And she's got that big ass knife. Yeah. I meant to mention that when we were watching it. I'm like, that's a huge knife. It's Halloween kitchen knife. Huge. Yeah. This isn't like your little six inch, seven inch chef knife. No, this was like a butcher size knife. It wasn't a cleaver, but, but man. It was huge. It was that's an intimidating. Big person coming at you with that it's like oh my god or it was just the absolute amazing filming and angle (laughs) that Hitchcock did (laughs) no because in a different angle later I mean the knife looks humongous yeah no it does it does it's a huge knife it does so Norma kills poor Marion and you see this shot it was very clever from up above and you see that Marion is quote-unquote naked but obviously you shared that she was wearing moleskin but it's an implied all nude like that in a big movie. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was that's a big deal. I didn't realize I'd forgotten like how intense that scene is and and bloody. It's bloody for there, that. There's a lot of blood. That part where she looks up and the shower, you know, the 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 shower is spraying. I have to throw this in there. They shot that part a couple of times because, of course, they couldn't get water on the camera. Right. But they had it set up in a certain way. So that it missed the camera lens. I wonder how they did that. I, they went into the whole, it was a lot, and I'm not going to get into it now because you're, you're going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Literally, because I know we're probably going to go longer on this episode because of me and my excitement over it. But And that's okay. I know. Excitement is good. It is, it is. And the way she landed on the floor, kudos to Janet Lee. Like, how did she stay like that? That looks so uncomfortable. And she left her eye open and her mat. Like, just the whole neck situation. She did. I mean, it was her. Job. Yeah. It was her, by the way. Because if you really pay attention, like, because I was really like zooming in mm-hmm. in my head, you can see her her moving. Just a little bit, like in her throat. Oh, really? I mean, barely. You can see her moving, so you know it's her. It's not like a dummy or some doll. Prosthetic doll or whatever. something. It's her, like just standing still. And it, the scene is only a few seconds, but to be like that contorted is difficult. That and the way she, her eye just stayed fixed. Like 
it didn't would happen blink. with somebody who who who's dead. Right. No blink, and it almost almost looked emotionless. Yeah, she did a great job. She did an amazing job there. Norman now shows up, and he's horrified at what's happened, at what his mother has done. This is why I'm saying it's her. Mm-hmm. This I think may be the first time. Maybe the second time we see Norman. I think we see him initially when she gets to the motel. Mm-hmm. And now. The other times I think it's been You don't even Norma. think when they're in the parlor? I don't even think that's Norman. Really? I think it's her. The entire time? I do. Hmm. Okay. I think it's her most of the time. <laughs> he cleans up. He brings a mop and a bucket Mops everything, cleans, and he has blood all over his hands. He washes his hands, and he puts Marion in the shower curtain <laughs> and then puts her in the trunk of her car. Right. With the money. With the money. I mean, and all her luggage and, and all everything. of that. He picks up everything in the room. But it's important to note the money is in there because he has no interest no. in money. It's not like he knew it was in there anyway because he thought it was a newspaper. Right. He did. That, oh, that's right. That's right. He doesn't even know. That there's money in there. Right. Norman does not care about money. He just wants to do his thing. Or do Norma's thing. (laughs) That's more like it. (laughs) He drives her car into this, what do you call it, a bog, pushes it in, and it just drowns. It starts to think. It sinks. There we go. But... There's a moment there where it stops. And, and he, he panicked. He is panicking. You saw at first, him. At first, he's like, yeah, it's going down. Right. And then it just stops. And his face is like, oh, shit. How am I going to How am I going to get away with this? <laughs> and then the car starts to. How many cars, how many bodies are in that Are bog? in that bog. Yeah. I'm curious. And what about that smile on his face when it finally goes under? Telling you. It's Norma. Oh, just the smile because it was alone. it was just Norman picking it up, and then it turns into Norma. I really do think that the psychologist at the end is right that it is normally Norma. Say normally that five Norma times <laughs> in his mind now. Mm-hmm. You ha- you only catch glimpses of Norman. Norman. I, I'm going to agree with you. I think you're 100 percent spot on with that one. Yep, yep, yep. Next thing you know. It cuts to Lila, who is Marion's sister, and she goes to see Sam. And she wants to know where Marion is, if he knows, if she's there with him. And he says, no, I haven't heard from her. So now they start to worry. And then this private detective shows up. Let me see if I get his name right. It's Abragast. Yes. Abragast. that's such a strange name. It is a strange name. He was hired by the guy who lost the 40 grand because he wants his money back. The lecherous old man, Tom. (laughs) He has trailed Lila to Sam's. And at first he's very aggressive with them. Yeah. But then he backs off a little bit because I think he realizes that they don't don't know know where where she is. Next thing you know, he ends up, the detective, at Bates. Now, it's important to say that it's already a week later. That's right. He starts questioning Norman, asking him question after question. And I think that's what gets him very flustered. Norman starts to mess up with his answers. He says that no one's come by, but then he said that there was a couple. And then he starts stuttering and and this guy keeps pushing the questions. And at one point, he sees Mother at the window. 
And then he wants to go question the mother. And then Norman is like, no, no, no. No talking she, to mother. No, she's not feeling well. He says no. Abergas leaves and he makes a call to Sam and Lila. He tells them, yep, Marion was here. And tells him that he wants to talk to Norman's mother. Because he thinks that they had a conversation. So he goes back to Bates. Big mistake. Oh my God, big mis Big, big mistake. He goes into the office. He sees this parlor and he starts snooping around. And it occurs to him, eh, let me go up to the house. Let me be nosy. Let me go question. Even though I was warned. Don't go in there. <laughs> so he's going up the stairs and who pops out? Norma. Mrs. Bates <laughs> comes out of her room and stabs him to death and pretty damn brutally for 1960. Yeah, it was pretty. And there's that big ass knife again. Yes. He takes the tumble down the stairs because she surprises him at the top of the stairs and he just falls backwards. She is one strong... Well, I mean, it is a guy, but well, she's still, he doesn't look strong. Well, looks are very deceiving. <laughs> Craziness, too, you know. <laughs> you know, he carried Marion into the car <laughs> with no issues. Next scene, we see Lila and Sam talking, and Sam decides to go to Bates Motel to see what else he can find out. They decide that they're going to go... Investigate the investigate, investigator. Exactly, as a couple is how they're going to show up there. Next thing we see is Norman is at the pit. Presumably, that's the detective's car. Sam returns to Lila, and he tells her there's no Arbogast, no Norman Bates. He just sees an old lady at the window. Sam and Lila decide to go to the sheriff. They go to his house, and they start explaining what's going on. And the sheriff is saying, oh, Norman is harmless. And he does mention... He does mention, you remember a bad business out there 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, initially, I was like, oh, what happened? What happened? I mean, you get the answer, like, in a few seconds. Which is that Norman's mom has been dead for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Which then Sam is like, wait a minute. Who did I see up there? Because <laughs> he saw an old lady in the window. Yeah, he keeps insisting that he saw her. The sheriff explains that Norma... Poison the man she was with and then herself. Mm -hmm. Or so the town thinks Correct. that that's what happened. Sam and Lila, like I said, they're confused because Sam said that he saw the old lady in the window and so did the private investigator. I can't pronounce his name. Okay. He mentions it too. Mm -hmm. So now they're perplexed like, wait a minute. Then who the hell is that old lady up there? More mystery. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the scene cuts to Norman back at the house. He's bantering back and forth with the mother and the mom is saying to not take her down to the cellar. But that's exactly what Norman does. Mm -hmm. He takes her down to the cellar from her bedroom. The fruit cellar. Ugh. The the bantering back and forth of that scene is what's disturbing, mm -hmm. especially when you realize there is no Norma. Right. Like you're you're talking to yourself. But he's carrying a body down the stairs. And that's the other disturbing part, obviously, when you find out later, like, ew. Yeah. Ugh. Disturbing. That's gross. <laughs> Sam and Lila approach the sheriff again when he's coming out of church. These people. They're very insistent. I know, but not at his home, presumably in the middle of the night. 
Because they True. were in pajamas. True. And now at church? I mean, come on. Have like, give it a respect. rest. Can't you just call? Or, or show up in a little while. And like, give them some space. Yeah. The sheriff says that he spoke to Norman and said that everything was all good. But Lila is not convinced and is persistent and wants to go investigate this herself. At the hotel. At the, at motel. the motel. Sorry. I keep calling it a hotel. I know. They check in as a couple this time. Ten bucks a room. Can you believe that? I know. That would be so great. If it were real. If it were real nowadays. Although I don't know if I would pay anything to stay there at Well, all. with that history, I don't think I would either. <laughs> They are greeted by Norman, and Norman puts them towards the back. Yes. He didn't want to do any voyeurism on these two, I, I guess. Clearly, that was not the purpose for Room him. Room one is off limits <laughs> at this moment. I guess the couple thing isn't his thing. They go examine cabin one. Mm-hmm. They find the missing shower curtain. They did find that odd give them that it does look odd and then this part i thought was ridiculous they find a little piece of paper oh no it was microscopic i mean this tiny you can't see us but i mean the tip of your pinky nail and that it looked like it had some math calculations so lila automatically oh she was here and the money and and she subtracted something it's like how did you deduce this from a small ass piece of paper and microscopic and Sam puts it in his wallet. And that's when you really see how tiny it is. I mean, yeah. It's like the corner of his license or whatever the <laughs> hell that was. I think it was a license. Yeah. Now they're convinced that Norman took the money, mm-hmm. which would be to move the motel because they have no business or to help because there's no business. They just think he's interested in the money. And guess what? He's not. He's not interested in the money. He's interested in you. They devise a plan for Sam to distract Norman in the office. And Lila is going to go explore the house. And what did they do? What what rule? Oh my gosh. There's a rule here. And you know it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Lila goes into the house and goes upstairs to Mrs. Bates' room to snoop. She freaks herself out. Yes, she does. She <laughs> With the, with with the, the double mirrors. With the double mirrors because she sees her reflection and the reflection. And she's like, oh, <laughs> something you would have done. Oh, Oh, you know I would have well, screamed you would... at the top of my lungs if that happened to me in real life. But honestly, you would not be up there. Oh. You would have hightailed it out of that town immediately. Immediately. So You know me. I listen to the rules. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> she can't, She continues in her snooping and eventually ends up in Norman's room, which is kind of sad looking. Before we head to Norman's room, which is sad looking, Lila looks over at Mrs. Bates' bed. And it looks like there had been somebody laying in it. Oh, that's right. It's like indented. Indented. Yes. A body indent. That must have been a little weird. But I guess if in your mind this person's alive, maybe not. Right. We're seeing it as weird because we're thinking, Jesus. That body's been laying there to leave that kind of indent. Because even if you were laying there for eight hours, it's not going to leave that. Ugh. Anyway, continue with Norman's room. <laughs> it's such a sad room. You it's see? immature. It is. It's immature. It's childlike. Yeah. He's got this cot. It's not even a bed. It looks like a cot. Yeah. In the corner. It It's sad. I think Norman has remained... A child? A child. She's protecting... Norma is protecting him. So she thinks. Because mm-hmm. we don't know how old he is. But we don't think he's that old. True. Maybe 20s, early mid 20s. 
I'm thinking mid-20s to early 30s. Think so? Yes. I think more that, but hmm. we can agree to disagree. We'll never know. No, we don't. We don't I guess know. we can look it up, but... Yeah. But even that may be a theory. Exactly. Sam now, we cut to Sam and he's riling Norman up about the money. And he continues to, you know, just eat away at him and about the money and about the money. And then finally, <laughs> Norman's like, yeah, I've had enough of this shit. And he whacks, <laughs> a, whacks Sam on the head with a, with a vase and <laughs> down he goes and Norman runs towards the house. Well, because Norman realizes, wait. He realizes what's going on. Where's Lila? Right. And in the meantime, while that's happening, she decides to go down where? To the cellar. To the cellar, because she sees Norman through the window coming back to the house. So she, of course, goes downstairs, hides in that little, I'm not going to, I don't know, it's like a little doorway to, like a parlor into the cellar. Mm -hmm. She kind of hides there initially and then looks at the door and goes, that's a great idea. Let Let me go down there. Let me go down into that dark, dank room. So she does. And she does. And there's Norma Bates with her sitting back to her. with her back. And Lila's like, Mrs. Bates? <laughs> and then? She turns her around. She spins her around because she's in a... Like in a spinny swivel chair. Swivel chair? Yeah, there we go. Spinny chair. <laughs> spinny chair? I like that. that. I like that. And lo and behold, oh, she God. is dead. Not, not just dead. It's it's a it's a skeletal skeletal yeah. with a wig, yeah, and the teeth. And Maybe the, it's not a wig. It might actually it be, might her be her hair, hair. and the eye sockets, no eyes, and the yep. te- oh, it's it's for that time. That's pretty impressive. It is impressive. Even now, it's kind of like ugh. of course she freaks out, screams because that's what you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Then Norman is running in dressed as, as Norma. Mother, yes. With the wig and the robe and the that is where you really see how huge that knife is. Oh, that's true. And I mean Lila got lucky that Sam came to her rescue because he stopped Norman <laughs> from doing any damage and this is where you find everything out. Right. That Norma is dead. Norman has kidnapped her body. From when she died, and that Norman has been walking around posing as her, mm-hmm. and that he's also been talking as her. You also see them pulling the cars out of the the bog. It all hell has broken loose. They then show everyone at the police station. The cops are talking to the psychiatrist, and he goes into this whole conversation and explanation about split personality which i think that for those days that was pretty advanced i don't think that that would have been something that was as commonly spoken about maybe not as much as now but he definitely went into the explanation of i spoke to norma and the whole that he's barely there anymore yeah it's mostly norma and we got more detail about her death it was actually Norman, who poisoned both of them. Yeah, because he was jealous. Because he was jealous. He so they were have both, another man there. They were both in a toxic relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. They were both equally obsessed with each other. And now Norma is just taking over poor Norman. Norma and Norman are one in one body. And the, the, the psychiatrist who was there used an interesting word. And that was the trauma that he must have had. He, Norman, must have had to have committed matricide. He killed his own mother. That's a cool word. Yes, it is. (laughs) Matricide. Yes. 
this is how the movie ends. I think Norman also killed his father. Oh, he had to have. Because he died when he was a child. Mm-hmm. But died. Mm. Right. I think Norman has been disturbed for quite some time. The movie does end he- Well, it ends with a oh, the- another policeman coming in and saying, oh, he's asking for a blanket. Technically, she. And you see the cop give the blanket to Norman, and Norman responds in a female voice saying, yes. thank you. He wraps it around, and he looks at the camera with that this look. sinister smile. Ooh, I'm getting chills. And as it's zooming in on him, but fading out in the scene, his face becomes cadaver. The cadaver, yeah. Of the mom. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. It is. Alfred Hitchcock, a genius. A genius. And then that's how the movie ends. And that's when it ends. When I first watched it, granted, the show already gave it away. And Mm -hmm. I had kind of known the story of Psycho, but it was still so impactful to see this, even in this new era of movies that we're in, because movies have learned a lot from this movie. Horror movies have grown from movies like this or Nosferatu, another Mm -hmm. old classic horror movie that lays the foundation. And I think this movie was a great foundation for a good horror, thriller, slasher you know, movie about psychological damage, how the mind can go everywhere, how a person and it was can very, be two people. And at it once. was tasteful. It was very art. It's, it's a amazing. piece of art that's incredible. And it's very, I can watch this again and again and still be very excited about this movie. Which answers one of our questions that's further ahead, but I think we can answer it now. This still, this movie still holds up. It definitely holds up. I think this is. In horror movies, I think there's staples. Mm. I think this is one, The Exorcist, Jaws, The Shining, (laughs) (laughs) Halloween, even Friday the 13th. Like, these are staples. Mm -hmm. And there's many more that I just can't think of off the top of my head because there's so many. But this is foundation of horror. They're what lay the groundwork for more to be developed within the genre itself. Right. And to make it an art. Right. It's more than that. In a horror movie. Well, it definitely was in this one, for sure. It's great. I would watch this again and again and again. It's a great movie. Uh, I will watch it for many reasons, one of which is the filming. We've gathered that. (laughs) And the plot itself, the movie itself, the conversations in the movie. They're kind of short, but at the same time, they're pretty intense. Now watch the movie again, and when you watch Norman... Maybe now you'll see, oh, maybe it is Norma. That's why it's one of those movies that you can keep watching, like The Lodge, and pick up different things. I think that's where psychological horror movies are fun, because you could keep going back and thinking and seeing new angles or come up with different conclusions that you didn't have the first time you watched it or the fifth time you watched it or the tenth. Every time you watch it, you'll see something different or maybe you'll catch something. Little details, little conversations. Exactly, like in Scream noticing certain things between the two guys that I had never noticed before. Right, but we'll get to that another time. Exactly. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. Sound and movie. This movie, from beginning to end, yes, there's the plot and all that. This movie, imagine it without the soundtrack that it has. It would be a completely different movie. 
it would. It's one of those soundtracks that if you hear it, you know it's Psycho. Like if you hear Halloween, you know it's Halloween. Jaws, you know it's Jaws. It's always those staples. And I, I realized that horror movies have that. They yes. have a staple sound that you know and can relate to that movie. And it probably because it's fear inducing. So you just don't <laughs> forget it. Psycho has that the, to me, the most obvious and famous is the shower scene music because mm -hmm. it's been used and parodied and all this but it's famous to this day and it is still no matter how much it's used and abused still impactful if you hear that and you happen to be in a shower i guarantee <laughs> how scary you, is that <laughs> i guarantee you you will be just a little bit trepidatious and be looking over your shoulder i would bit. i know i would i know you would best scene for me it was the parlor scene between norman and marion I think you do see the depth of Norman's insanity here because like I mentioned earlier, it's Norma. Mm -hmm. It's not Norman speaking. And that's how deep this goes. And it's just interesting to see them talking and how he just gets progressively angrier, but calm because he is angry. I he's think he's so angry, calm. but he's so, and that's scarier. It I think is. it's scarier to be angry, calm than to be angry, like crazy, out of crazy your mind. and loud and out there. And you I, don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. I, and the parlor scene is my favorite scene as well. Oh, okay. And I think I was really exuberant as to why it's, it's everything in there. Norman's craziness. And now that you've shed a new light from your point of view, even more, the filming, the juxtaposition of the light and the dark, everything in that scene is perfect. And it's set up for you, the audience. You're actually a voyeur True. watching this scene. That's another good point. See what I mean? You can keep watching this movie over and over and, and you can more. see a different point of view. <laughs> I, I was tied between that and the shower scene, but the shower scene is famous. Everybody knows it. So I didn't want to choose it. And it, I mean, it is great, but this is leading up to it. This yes. is what probably, if Norman was on the edge edge of, I'm not going to kill this lady, that's what pushed it over, I, was her talking about Oh his my mom. God, you're right. You are right. That is probably what pushed the seesaw. You know so what I mean? So without this scene, how I view the movie, without this scene, you don't have the shower scene mm -hmm. because you never know. He could have been on the edge of, kill her eh, or maybe not. I won't kill her right. or whatever, mm -hmm. but now you're talking shit. About, about my, mom. my mom. And who knows if the reason why he kills other women is because they somehow bring up his mother. Mm -hmm. And that's where Norma kicks in and mm -hmm. is like, oh, no. Right. You're not talking shit about me. Let's mm -hmm. kill you. Yeah. This could be yeah, a I whole get... other wow. part of it. Now we're going to have to watch it again and so that I can see all this, too. Anytime. <laughs> okay. Let's go on to best character. And I think we both agree on the same character. You chose Norman. Norman. Yeah. I was kind of between Norman and Marion, mm -hmm. but... I mean, he has depth, even though he hasn't... The movie is an hour and a half, which is long, but you don't... There's still not a lot of conversation, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, and there's not a lot to get to know, but for some reason, you do get to know Norman enough, and you don't get to know enough that you want to know more. And I'm more interested in knowing about him. I don't care about Marion. I, I get your story. You're very straightforward. He's not straightforward. I want to know more. And you I do know feel... His, you want to know his backstory. And I do, which is why you should watch the show. But I feel so sorry for him, mm -hmm. too, because I do think when you first, first see him, when mm -hmm. she drives up, it is Norman. 
And I think he is a nice guy, but he's overrun by this crazy woman mm -hmm. named Norma. That's his mother. Sharing his body. Yeah. Which is really creepy. I feel like now I've gone on a tangent on this side of it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I, you, I am so proud of you that you <laughs> like this movie this much. So yeah. I'm really yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah. I think Norman was great. Kudos. Lots of them to Anthony Perkins because his I mean, acting. He killed the role. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy joke. I love it. <laughs> he did kill. He nailed this role. He did with, with the acting, the calmness, the body language. I know he's not the one choosing the the costume, but even his wardrobe, just how he is set up. He emulated that character very well to the team. Perfect. Amazing job. So yes, Norman, favorite character. What about unlikable character? You know who I didn't like? The detective irritated the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of annoying. I, I he was a non-event, as you love okay, to say. Like I say a non-event. I guess that's why he's my least likable because yeah. he was a non-event. I put Norma because she's a bitch and <laughs> she has ruined Norman's life. Now she's gonna come get me. But without Norma, we don't you have a movie. I know. That, that's fine. It doesn't mean I have to like her. I know. I know. All right. So here comes the rules. Here comes the rules. And here we go. Let's start our seven rules. Number one: Don't say hello. Or who's there? Rule number two, turn on the lights. Rule number three, don't split up. Rule number four, don't go upstairs, in the basement, or the attic. Rule number five, why are you going in there if it says don't enter? No trespassing. Danger. Yeah. Rule number six, make sure the bad guy is dead. Rule number seven, no Ouija board. All right, so the broken rules. They split up. In this little plan of, oh, let's check in as a couple and then you distract Norman and I'll go over there. It almost got you killed. Right. It sure almost did. And in that same rule breaking, you broke the rule of, why are you going in there? Like, into the house. Mm -hmm. And then within that, she broke, why are you going into the basement? Mm -hmm. Or in this case, the cellar. Right. And she went into a bedroom. She went snooping. Snooping gets you in trouble. By herself. She is lucky that Sam came to her rescue. And rescue he did. <laughs> Those were the rules broken in Psycho. Scream Award. And that is how many times Erica screams during a movie. Well, I didn't scream at all in this movie. No, you did not. So for once, it's a zero. Because I normally almost always scream mm -hmm. at least once, which is why I've always given it the one out of five. But yeah, in this one, I didn't scream at all. Or jump or... No. Or anything. But it didn't need... You didn't need to. No. In this one, you don't need it. It was perfect. As it was. All right, Mom. I know you've fully enjoyed this episode. <laughs> oh, you Talking know about I did. Psycho. I think we have talked it to death like we always do. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. That is definitely a wrap. And boy, did I enjoy this. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, follow, rate, and subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at Horror Cafe Podcast and on Facebook horror cafe podcast so you know we've gotten a couple of emails from folks that have been listening to us i love reading them how about you i do too we love to hear what you think drop us a line visit our website send us a message at horrorcafepodcast.com and if you want to laugh after the music stick around for some bloopers see you next time bye <laughs>
Okay. Are you going to say anything? I'm waiting for you. But you usually say something oh, like, Oh, yeah, I say oh, my name. No. <laughs> what am I supposed to I thought you were going to go into this thing. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Calm, calm down. Hold on, hold on.